It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study that's why you want to listen live i i, I messed up there i played the close of our program before we even started we almost got off easy tonight dad almost got done before we started that's right we we're chasing our tail there welcome to the program tonight Thank you for taking time to be a part of it, and we're looking forward to your participation. You do so by calling 877-381-4567-questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use, and we're looking forward to your discussion tonight. Uh, an interesting topic tonight, Data. We're going to have a list of doctrines that people just don't like. Yeah, we decided tonight to try to deal with something. Uh, well, it's a it's a sort of a shotgun uh, kind of program, Jacob. We'll cover all kind of topics. We'll go in all different directions. Uh, I once heard a preacher describe sermons. He says there's rifle kind of sermons where you take aim at one specific point and you and you follow through all the way and just stay on target. And then he says there are shotgun sermons. And he says with a shotgun sermon you go everywhere preaching the word. And that's what we're going to do tonight because we sent out to our update list earlier today. And I, I think most all of our listeners are familiar with our update list. We, if you uh, will. Uh, send us an email. We'll add you to a list, and we've got several hundred each week. We send out a, to uh, an email message to several hundred each week, kind of telling them what our topic is going to be and getting some uh, advanced feedback for the program. If you'd like to be on that list, just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, and all you need to do is just put in the subject line, add me to your list, and we'll do that. But earlier today to that list, I sent out just a very simple statement. We want to talk about... The top ten most hated doctrines in the Bible. And so we, we ask people to send us their top ten list. What's the top ten most hated things that are taught in the Bible that, that people just simply don't want to believe in and will not accept when it, when they're taught? And so we're already getting some good feedback. We'd like to get yours. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about, of all the things taught in the Bible, what do you think are the most hated things that, that unbelievers are willing to submit, unwilling to submit to? Um, what's the top ten most hated list? That's a very simple question. might take a little bit more thought to, to put your list together, but we'd love to hear from you. You could even call us if you've got some real hot topics that you think ought to be on that list and you don't want to take time to email them. You can send us uh, or you can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567, and just, you know, we'll be glad to talk with you on the, on the phone. But uh, get some feedback to us about the top ten most hated doctrines in the Bible. I guess every doctrine in the Bible is hated, though, by those who don't want to submit to it. Uh, I think that's right. If you don't want to do it, then you hate it, whatever it is. You know, whatever the, the, the commandment or instruction of the Scripture is, if you don't want to obey it, then you actually hate it. Uh, well, there are some things in the Bible, though, that people love. You know, they love to hear about the love of God, for instance. People don't hate, I mean, well, anybody who believes the Bible, anybody who believes in God doesn't doesn't hate to hear about the love of God. They love to hear about the love of God. They typically hate to hear about his justice. And so there'd be... We love the, we like the ones where people, it says people should love us, right? Yeah. And they should do good to us. But then when it comes to doing good to our enemies or those we don't love, 
uh, then it's uh, probably we could say anything that obligates people. There are going to be some people who hate that. Anything that requires a change. We don't right. want to change. Exactly right. But there are, you know, you you asked for the top ten. There are some that in the world that we live in today are very popular doctrines to hate, very popular doctrines to try and get around. And we see people trying to twist and wiggle and squirm when these doctrines are brought up. And so we're interested to hear your thoughts on that. Tonight. Yeah, get us your feedback. You plenty of time to get in on the program tonight. Send us your top ten list or give us a phone call. We want to hear from you on the virtual Bible study tonight. We love when we have a lot of participation from various ones during the program. And there's an email from Don. I haven't heard from Don for a while. Don, thank you for emailing tonight. We'll get to yours in a little while. We're looking forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the program tonight, and uh, we'll make a special uh, invitation tonight, Dad. Call us on the phone. The phone doesn't get used very much on this program. Call us on the phone. Let's just talk about uh, your your list of things tonight, if you would, or you can obviously send the email. We look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, look, uh, Jacob, as we talked about how to cover all these different lists that are being sent in, I think the only thing we can do is just take them in the order that we received them and talk about these uh, top ten lists that we're getting some of them are going to be overlap, so as we get past the first one, probably there's going to be some overlap with those that follow. So we'll just talk about every point that we can cover tonight. And like I said, it's going to be a shotgun approach. We're going to cover a lot of different things. But let's start out with an email from Gail here in, in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, her number one, top on the list, divorce, only one scriptural reason. And I'm going to add her second point, too. Remarriage has to be scriptural. So her, her points one and two, you can only divorce for one scriptural reason, and you can only remarry. If you remarry, it must be scriptural. Now, I think that the Bible does teach about scriptural divorce and remarriage, Jacob. Well, and we talked about it, you know, if you don't like the passage, if you don't like the doctrine, it's time for you to start squirming and wiggling and trying to get around it. And uh, the passages are very clear, Dad, yet I've heard people say, Passages about divorce and remarriage are very hard to understand, and we can't understand them. They're too complicated. People who know their Bibles very well and very intelligent people, when it comes to passages like this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, they say they're very difficult to understand. But if we'll be willing to submit, they're very simple to understand. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her that is put away, doth also commit adultery. A very simple passage, very easy to understand, um, but it's very hated passage. That's right. The one cause, and this is what Gail said in her, her list, one cause for divorce. And if that cause doesn't exist, in other words, if you're not divorced for that cause, then you can't remarry. So you must be the innocent party, and you must put away or divorce your spouse because they have committed fornication or sexual immorality. And if you have done that, if you are the innocent one who has put away a guilty fornicating spouse, then you can remarry without sin. The guilty put-away person or the put-away person in general cannot remarry. The Bible's very plain on that. I, I remember one time I was studying with a young man who actually was already divorced. He was very young, but already divorced. He had never studied the Bible. He didn't know. He, he had, it really, it was kind of interesting. He had no preconceived notions, no prejudices. He hadn't been taught, and he just simply was unaware of anything that the Bible taught on almost any subject. And this topic came up. I didn't say anything. I just turned him to Matthew 19.9 and asked him to read it. And without prejudice and without preconceived notion, he saw the truth. It was not hard for him to understand. Actually, he was able to deduce from it that he didn't have a right from the Bible to remarry based upon a simple reading of Matthew 19.9. It is not a difficult verse to understand. People want to make it difficult because they're trying to justify things that the Bible doesn't justify. But and that and that makes it, I think, accurately a very hated doctrine in the Bible. 
because divorce is so prevalent these days and so many people are involved in unscriptural divorces and unscriptural remarriages that they're going to hate that because it, it tells them that they can't do what they want to do. All right. Uh, and her next list on her list, her dad, is one that's another uh, hated doctrine. And that is uh, baptism wash away sins and puts one in the body of Christ. Baptism for the remission of sins is a hated doctrine. The Bible's pretty clear on that one, too. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, the like figure we're into baptism, but also now save us. First Peter 3, 21. You, Did I say 321? It, no, you said you said something else, but it's 321, right, right? It is. That's what I've got written down. First <laughs> Peter 321 and Acts 238. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And on and on they go. Well, the program's limited tonight. So. Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All right, if we're going to keep on going. Galatians three twenty seven. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So again, baptism tied with being in Christ, with salvation, being in His body. We, we've got to be baptized in order to be in a right relationship with God. So baptism for the remission of sins is a hated doctrine. I think Gail's right. You know, I remember one time studying with a couple of young men on that, and I. Again, I just ask them to read Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And they didn't want to believe in baptism. They said, yeah, well, that's what it says, but that's not what it means. <laughs> I mean, they read it, and they knew it, what it said, but they said, well, that, it, that's what it says, but it's not what it means. Well, what does it mean? If it doesn't mean what it says, what does it mean? Well, How would I've, we know? I've, I've asked people before, uh, what would uh, God have to say if he wanted us to believe that baptism was required for the remission of sins? How could he say it? What would he have to say? I mean, how does it get any clearer than what the Bible says? Exactly right. Exactly right. The next one on Gail's list, she's got uh, assembling with the saints every Sunday is required. You know, this is a problem not just for people of the world. This is a problem for Christians. I mean, you would wish that we didn't have to always talk about the matter of faithful attendance, but it's always necessary. Every church I've ever known of, it's a problem with certain Christians who will not make it a priority to be at services every time. And so we're always having to teach on attendance. And I, I think people begin to resent it. I, I think they begin to hate it when we quote, for instance, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. People hate to hear about attendance. But as long as there are those who will not do what they should be doing, who will not follow the instruction to assemble faithfully, then we're going to have to talk about it. Well, there's really three reasons I can think of, Dad, why we need to be faithful in our attendance. Number one, and most obvious, is God has commanded it, and so that settles the issue. But it's two other reasons as well. First off, our brethren need us to be worshiping faithfully. Others in the congregation need us to be there to encourage them. Well, that's what Hebrews 10.25 says, exhorting one another. That's why we come together, part, and, and, and part and, of the reason, at least. And one another is a reciprocal action, so we get encouraged and, and built up as well from our assembly. And so it's fundamental. And if we can't get past that, Dad, you wonder... How far can we really get in our growth and our service to God if we can't get past simple instructions like that? Yeah, if, I've always wondered, if the people who will not attend services faithfully, you don't come to church faithfully, but you want us to believe that you're studying your Bible regularly? You want us to believe that you're praying consistently? You want us to believe you're out there telling other people about salvation? You're striving people? hard to love your enemies when you yeah. can't even love your brethren enough to come and, yeah, and yeah. encourage them? If you can't get that, then... It really makes it hard to believe that you're getting the other things that are expected of a Christian. So I think it is, and and people don't like to hear that. They just it's hated. So it's a hated doctrine. Uh, next on Gail's list number five, Jesus only established one church. 
Well, that's a pretty hated thing to point out, but the Bible is pretty clear on that, too. I mean, it's interesting that these hated doctrines are also very clearly taught. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Notice, Paul lists seven things of which there are only one, and he says that there is one body. Now, that's Ephesians 4, 4. If you wonder what he's talking about when he says there's just one body, well, let him explain in the same epistle, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. God hath put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there's one body, and the body is the church. The conclusion, therefore, is that there's only one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is described in the pages of the New Testament what it is, what it does, how it's organized, all described in the Bible. There's just one of them. And that is really unpopular in the world today. In fact, people just bristle at the thought of of one, only one church. But that's what the Bible says. All right. Uh, we need to hurry. Uh, Gail's list has 10 points on it, and so does everybody else's. <laughs> Uh, number six, singing is the only authorized music, uh, and that's why she worded it. I would say singing is the only authorized music in New Testament worship. Yeah, Galatians 3.16 uh, tells us that we should sing. Uh, Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, uh, sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And everywhere we read about music in the New Testament, Dad, in our worship here on earth, it is uh, vocal music. That's all we can read about. Yeah, and, and we're talking about uh, music used in worship of God. Now, that's not to say you can't sit down and play a piano or a guitar or anything else you want if you're playing secular music. We're not opposed to instruments in secular music. But when it comes to the worship of God, every scripture in the New Testament that talks about Christians worshiping God is of vocal music, singing, no authority for instruments of music in New Testament worship. Now, we understand that they used them in Old Testament times, not denying that. But we're saying that in New Testament worship, only vocal music singing is authorized. And her next point is one that is hated and uh, is controversial, surprisingly, in the world that we live in today. Homosexuality. Homo- to, to teach that homosexuality is a sin is a hated doctrine in the world today. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's a change in our lifetime. That's a change in the last 10 to 20 years that homosexuality has become acceptable and that people are supposed to just allow that this is okay. The Bible's pretty outspoken on that, Jacob. Galatians chapter 6, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. My tongue's not working tonight. First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that are sins. People are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. In that list are those who are effeminate and abusers of themselves of mankind. I think other newer translations say homosexuals and male prostitutes are the ones who are described there. So definitely the Bible's very clear on homosexuality. Romans chapter 1 is plain on that. Let's get through Gail's list real quick because we're coming up on a break. Uh, number eight, love your enemies. That's a tough thing. Uh, and it is. I think people don't like to hear it. But uh, Jesus said, you have heard uh, Matthew five forty three. you have heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's the standard that Jesus sets for us all. It's a tough thing to live up to. It's much easier to hate your enemies, uh, and people typically do. And you tell them, well, you know, you really ought to be loving your enemies. They don't like to hear that. Uh, she goes on, we need to obey the government. Number nine is her most hated thing. Romans 13, 1, very clear on that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, we're submit to every ordinance of man. 
and women to be in position of submission. Women are to submit. Women are to be under men in obedience. Uh, First Timothy but, 2, verse 12. First Timothy 2, 12. Other verses, and I think these are on some other lists, so we can mention it more as we go on, but the, the role of women, what the Bible teaches about the role of women is not popular in the world today. So there's Gail's top ten list, and, and we got we got just through hers. We're going to have to hurry, but you, I think we're seeing that there's much uh, to discuss on top ten most hated Bible doctrines, Jay. Maybe our goal tonight should be the top ten list, top ten of the top ten list. Yeah. Maybe we can't even get through that. Uh, but we hope you'll uh, stay tuned if you're just joining us. We're talking about the top ten most hated doctrines in the religious world today. We'd like for your list to be added to the number tonight. You don't have to have ten. If you just got one or two, let us know of some doctrines that people hate that are clearly taught in the Scriptures. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after these messages. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back, and thank you for being a part of the program tonight. We're talking about the top ten most hated doctrines in the religious world today. We look forward to your feedback. I'm looking over these lists, Dad, and our listeners really have put some thought into your question. Today. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, we kind of struck a chord here. People realize that this is a... A very prevalent thing. People hate what the Bible says on a lot of topics. We got another, uh, our next email, and all we're going to do is try to hurriedly go through the emails in the order in which we've received them, Jacob. Jason up in Pennsylvania has sent in his, his list includes number one, that God exists. You know, the Bible doesn't really argue that point. It is, it, the Bible really operates on the assumption of God's existence. Now, I think there are Bible arguments that you can make in support of God's existence, but the Bible never offers a, uh, a, a definitive point one two three four conclusion kind of presentation concerning the the existence of God. It really is too obvious to argue. I think it is. Uh, you know, the uh, the heavens de- declare the glory of God uh, in Psalm nineteen verse one. Uh, the firmament showeth His handiwork. Uh, you look around at creation, you should understand that there's a, a supreme being. Now. You could look at you could look at the physical universe and say there must be someone, some being, some powerful being who made these things. You wouldn't know about him. You wouldn't know anything about him. But I think logic would conclude that there is some supreme power that created these things. That power is God, and He describes Himself in the Bible. And that's the second point on Jason's list. Second most hated doctrine is that the Bible is inspired word of God. So there is this being. You can see that there must be such a being by just looking at the physical universe. Then you go to the Bible and you read about him. And you, and, and he tells you about himself and he tells you about what his expectations are. And, of course, again, that speaks to the idea of obligation. And people don't want to be obligated. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 
as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul said you couldn't know anything about God, about the mind of God, unless he chose to reveal it, and he has. Yeah, and the Bible does make defenses for the fact that it, it is the message from God, and uh, but a lot of people don't want to accept that, don't want to accept the fact that it's uh, the uns- that it is the inspired, and it is inerrant, and it is the complete revelation of God. A lot of people don't uh, like that doctrine. And certainly it is hated in the religious world today. Another one that is uh, surprisingly dead and becoming more and more hated is the doctrine that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The world that we live in today uh, embraces tolerance. And if you say that there's only one way to be pleasing to God, the world doesn't like that and hates it. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, that would necessarily exclude... uh, the Muslims, it would exclude the Jews, it would exclude the Buddhists and the Hindus, all who don't believe in Jesus. Jesus said, the only way to come to the Father is but by me. And what people don't want to hear that. Well, the disciples understood Jesus' instruction because in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name given under, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, that's what the early disciples believed, and that's what we need to be believing today. Exactly right. Um you know, some very liberal, supposedly Christian theologians are now allowing that you could approach God through Judaism or uh, Islam or some other world religion. They're just totally ignoring what Jesus plainly said there. They hate what Jesus said. I believe you were working yesterday on getting an interview for, with someone who believes that. Yeah, I hope we might be able to get somebody who's written a book along those lines. Who uh, claims to be a member of the Church of Christ. Yeah. All right, so uh, interesting to... But uh, that is a hated doctor. Jason goes on. We've already talked about his next two. Baptism, essential for salvation. Number five, divorce and remarriage doctrine. Number six, women leaders. And now this goes to the idea, we just briefly touched on that, but he, I think Jason's especially suggesting the idea of women's role and women's role in the church. Uh, and the scriptures are clear on that. First Corinthians 14 uh, verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. We alluded to this passage earlier, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. Uh, so repeated passages tell the, the women that they are to not be in that position of leadership. Exactly right. So, uh, and, and, People who are wanting to do that are going to hate it when you point out those verses. So that is a hated doctrine. Uh, Jason mentions homosexuality. We've already talked about that. He, he says uh, the authority of the scriptures is a hated thing. Um, uh, I think he's right. People don't like to see the Bible as a, an authoritative code of law, a rule book. But Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said of the Romans, he says, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. They obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine. 
People want to talk about the heart, and the heart's important, but the form of doctrine is important, too. The Bible is an authoritative rule book. There is authority in the Scriptures. We've got to follow it. And we have to walk by faith, Dad, and the only way you can walk by faith is by hearing the Word of God. And so the only way that we can know that we're doing what God wants us to do, the only way we can do it in faith is by looking to the Word of God and following that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Very clearly, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We're supposed to do everything by God's authority, and that's the only way we can do it is by looking to his work. Okay, hold your place there on Jason's top ten list. I want to take this email that just came in from Eric. Eric writes and says, your, your entire premise is wrong. You are dogmatizing Jesus as if he came and gave us another law. He got rid of the obligation of the law. Christ did say, if you love me, keep my commandments, and yet Christ's new commandments were those of love. That's all. Christ didn't come to give us a new set of instructions to follow. Reading the New Testament as if it were a new divine law which we need to follow is folly and destroys its purpose. You can distort the New Testament as much as possible, even going so far as to say that it is somehow sinful to worship with instruments on Sunday morning, but that does not negate the meaning of Christ. Christ brought two commandments, love God with all your heart and soul and mind, and two, love your neighbor as much as possible. It's interesting to note that in this top ten list, love was the last thing mentioned. Uh, that's the condensed version of my take from Eric. Eric, thanks for emailing us. I disagree with you just entirely. Oh, I don't I don't disagree with Jesus' well, two, two premises, love God and love your, bro- your brother. But what, he, what we find later on in the New Testament and later on in John, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 2, and this we, by this we know that we, are the, we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The New Testament is full of commandments. Otherwise, these passages would have no meaning at all. Yeah. You know, the, in fact, the Scripture even uses that common kind of terminology for it. Just, just, I'm just picking one right out of thin air here. But notice in, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, and so on it goes. The Bible teaches the commands that are necessary and, you know, to say that, that it's not, that it doesn't contain law or rules for us to comply with, it's just not true. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul said, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So Eric's just wrong when he says that Jesus didn't come to give us commandments. They're Eric, the commandments of the Lord. I do appreciate Eric's sincerity, though. I, mean, I think Eric is sincere about wanting to to uh, serve God, but... Eric, if if you would call us on the phone, if you've got if you've got the ability to do so, uh, call us on the phone. Let's talk about it. I, I, I'd like to hear from you, and, let, and maybe we can do one on one. If we talked with Eric, maybe we could understand him a little bit better. Yeah, or we'd be glad to devote a whole a whole program to that notion uh, and uh, but we, see where it takes we, us. We don't want to we don't want to beat up on Eric. We just oh wanna, no, we want to get his perspective. I appreciate his his willingness to to send us that email. I appreciate it very much. But I don't think Eric is unique in. His take. I mean, he says it's his take, but I think that's probably the take of a lot of people in the religious world today is that it really doesn't matter what you do. Uh, you just need to love God and love your brethren, and really all the other details aren't uh, really important to God. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Thanks thanks very much, Eric, for your email. We'd like to talk with you more about those things. Um, we got to get back to Jason's top ten list. He says number uh, nine – People don't like to hear about the all-sufficiency of the Scripture, that the Bible contains everything we need to know. Second Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to the life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything we need is there. Uh, it's all sufficient. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. And, yeah, okay, another passage. And then finally, number 10, he says, the end of miracles. You know, we've, we've studied about that on the virtual Bible study. We've had whole programs devoted to the fact that the, the age of miracles is ended. We believe the miracles that the Bible teaches, every one of them, exactly just like the Bible says they happen. We believe it. But we also believe the Bible teaches that miracles have ended. Great passage on that, First Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. All right. Well, we got through another list uh, that uh, we're going to have to go faster. It's time for another break. We'll take a break. We'll get this week's bullet point, and we'll look forward to hearing from you during the break. Give us a call, 877-381-4567, or email questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. When it comes to sports, we do it. In business, we do it. In almost every field of endeavor, we look for role models. We try to find others who've been successful, and then we imitate them. God's Word tells us that we should do the same thing in spiritual matters. The best role models are found right in the Scripture. Jesus is the ultimate example. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his step. Other great heroes of the faith serve as good role models too. Paul urged us to be, quote, followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of examples of faithful men and women who serve as worthy patterns for us to imitate. Some folks might complain that it's hard to fully relate to someone that we can only read about in a book. They might say, for instance, Paul was a great Christian, but we live in a different world. It's hard to imagine how Paul would deal with our situation. Well, for these folks, let us suggest that they can also look to their own brethren. In any faithful congregation, they are zealous, devoted Christians who are working hard to live for the Lord. They resist temptation, spread the word, encourage others, and generally work tirelessly to do God's will. Look to them. Imitate them. Paul encouraged this approach. He said, quote, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Philippians 3.17 We know this method works in the material world. We look for winners, and we imitate them. Let's do the same thing when it comes to our most important endeavor, serving God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. And thank you again for joining us. And please join in on the discussion. Let us know your thoughts over the phone or over email tonight. We've had one person who says that uh, the whole premise of this program uh, tonight is wrong. If you disagree with that or if you agree with that, we'd like to hear from you tonight. Should we be looking to the New Testament to find doctrine, to find how we should be living our lives, or should we just um, put all that aside and uh, say, if you love God and you love your brethren, that's all that matters, and if you love your neighbor, that's all that matters, doesn't really matter what you do. If you believe, agree with that, let us know. If you disagree with that, let us know why you disagree with that. We believe it does matter what we do, and we believe the Bible has doctrine for us, and there's a lot of doctrine that's hated that. That's right. We've got an email from Stephen in Pittsburgh um, who writes uh, his top ten list. We've got to go pretty fast here, Jacob, and we don't mean to slide anybody in doing this. But uh, uh, number one, baptism is necessary for salvation. We've talked about that. Number two, God's justice. Now, he mentions, parenthetically, killing women and children in the Old Testament, hell in the New Testament. Let's talk about both those things quickly. First of all, I think hell is a hated doctrine in the New Testament. The Bible is very clear on the reality of hell. I think one of the ways that I'd 
would argue the reality of hell is to talk about Matthew 25. Jesus pictures the judgment scene. He talks about some who will, verse 46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. People want to believe in heaven. They don't want to believe in hell. Jesus spoke of them in the same verse and using the same terminology. If hell, if heaven's real, hell is real. But that is a hated Bible doctrine. The other thing he mentions there is, is in the Old Testament, there's a lot of bloody accounts in the Old Testament, and that is for sure. Um, but remember that when there were wars, even wars that were commanded by God in the Old Testament, if there were innocent women and children who were killed in those wars, and there were, there's no doubt, I mean, war kills innocent people. But if innocent people were killed, and they were, then they went to a uh, 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 eternal comfort or, or uh, a place of safety in eternity. You know, I think people who get too, I mean, I, it's not a pretty thing. I understand that. We don't like we don't like the thought of war. We don't like the thought of innocent people dying. But we may get too tied up with that thought uh, and not stop to realize that, that this life is not the be-all and the end-all. And those who were innocent who died in such conflicts will be uh, rewarded eternally. So I think that's got to be remembered, too. All right. Um, he goes on in his list and says that one of the hated doctrines is the Bible is not open to private interpretation. That's a common theme in our world today, and people don't like it when you say that there is one way that we must interpret the Bible and that uh, there's only one absolute truth. But First Second Peter chapter one verse twenty tells us that uh, for um, Second Peter chapter one verse twenty says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh, the Bible is clear to us, Dad, and gives us instructions, and there's one right way, and we need to be looking for that way in the Scriptures, not what men are teaching, but what God is saying in his Word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. Truth is exclusive. Truth is singular. And mathematical truth is does not allow alternate answers to the same question. God's truth doesn't allow different answers to the same question either. And I think it's been pointed out lots of times, it's a true concept, that if two people have a different conclusion based on what the Bible says, one or both of them is wrong. They both can't be right. You can't have different answers to the same question and both be right. And and what it does is it behooves us to study harder. But the Bible is not open or subject to private interpretation. But And people like to hear that. People like the idea, of, you know, you got your interpretation, I got mine. You go your way, I'll go mine, and everybody will be fine. And that's just not so. That is a hated doctrine. Stephen, you're exactly right on that. Number four, he says, children are not born sinners, nor do they inherit a nature to sin. That's a Calvinistic doctrine, and, I, and and people want to believe it, that we're born sinners, and we can excuse ourselves due to the fact that we have a sinful nature. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Uh, Jacob, you got a verse there you're looking for? I'm looking here, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, and uh, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who believe the doctrine of inherited depravity or that children are born sinners, Dad, Believe that uh, children, when they cry, are 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 sinning. They're lying if they're just crying when there's nothing wrong with them. That that this children are their sin all through a child when they're crying and they're selfish. All they care about is themselves. They say that children are born sinners. Yet Jesus said we need to become as little children. And He said in the next chapter, Matthew 19 verse 14, "Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is made up of such as are little children." So, uh, the Bible does not teach inherited depravity or a sinful nature. Those are Calvinistic doctrines that are not true. 
when we teach the Bible truth on that subject, it's not uh, not liked very well. Uh, quickly, Stephen goes on to mention some we've already talked about homosexuality, marriage, divorce, and remarriage as taught in the Bible, taking time to do God's will through reading and study. People don't like to have to spend time in Bible study. You know, I find Christians even that apparently uh, resent having to spend time in Bible study. You'd think it'd be a, a delight or a thrill to have the opportunity to do that. But I think that Stephen is probably right when he says people don't like it. Second um, Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study there in the King James that I just read is translated in other versions as give diligence. But you're going to have to give diligence to rightly divide or handle aright the word of God. You're going to have to be a good student. Um uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses uh, 12 through 14, condemned some early Christians because they hadn't grown, they hadn't been, and they had not become good Bible students. And so I think that uh, that is something people don't like to hear, but it's true. Um, repentance, he mentions number eight, repentance is not an appreciated topic. People hate it. Repentance means you got to change. People don't like to change. Uh, Jesus said, Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Being a good moral person will not save you. That's a hated doctrine. People want to believe that just being a good person will save you. The case of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, proves that morality alone will not save you. And then number 10, God and the Bible are hated things, according to Stephen's email. Stephen, thanks you. Thanks for participating in the, the virtual Bible study. All right. Uh, Anthony in Columbia writes in regarding Eric's earlier email. We read Eric's earlier email. If you're just joining us, Eric believes that the New Testament is not full of commands that we need to follow, just two. He says that Jesus gave us love God and love your neighbor. Anthony says, I also appreciate Eric's email. I would submit that we do indeed need to follow Jesus' commands, but he gave many more than two commands. Also, he said he would send a comforter that would guide the apostles into all truth. Therefore, Jesus' direct teachings were not all that Christians would need to follow. They would need to follow the apostles' teachings, which is what we have in the New Testament. Good point, Anthony. Yeah. In other words, Jesus said, love God, love your, love your fellow man. But the apostles gave additional instructions that were the commandments of the Lord. He's, Jesus says that those, those, uh, those commands uh, were fundamental, Dad. And if, you, if all the other commands are wrapped up in those two commands... But we still have to follow the other commands that are that fall under those two categories. Exactly right. All right. Again, uh, Eric, if you're still listening, give us a call if you can, and we'd like to talk with you. We will we'll be very polite, and uh, we just want to hear your your thoughts uh, maybe explained a little bit more thoroughly. We got an email from Pat, our good friend Pat in Harvest, Alabama, writes in his top ten list. Number one, withdrawal. You know, I think a lot of these people are not necessarily saying these are in any specific order. I think that's been mentioned several times in different emails we've looked at. And and so I'm not saying Pat says this is the top most hated thing, but it is hated. What the Bible teaches about church discipline is a hated thing, Jacob, for sure. Sure sure is. Uh, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 14. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. People don't like to hear that. It's hated. All right. Uh, unscriptural marriages is on his list. We've talked about that. No women preachers. We've talked about that. Uh, the covering of uh, long hair. Uh, he, he's making reference to the things taught in First Corinthians chapter 11. And I know that 
Pat and I have talked in the past about we don't necessarily agree on what's taught there, but the the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11 especially talks to the roles of men and women, and, and that is something that's hated in, in the world today. Uh, he goes on, uh, required obedience is required. That sort of goes to the Eric's email, Jacob, you know, that you, that you don't have, there's not commands to keep. Okay. Uh, uh, repentance required. We just talked about that. Homosexuality condemned. Keepers at home. That's an interesting one. He adds to that, but that would also go to Jacob, the idea of um, women's roles and being keepers at home is an expression that comes from Titus chapter two, talking about the younger women being taught to be. This is Titus two verse four. The younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Women are to be keepers home. It's talking about the role of women. Women have a different role than men. Now, I, <clears throat> that probably would be a good subject for a whole study on the virtual Bible study. I don't think that my understanding is keepers at home doesn't mean that a woman has to be in her home 24-7. But she has a primary obligation in the home that she cannot neglect no matter what else she may become involved in. She's got to be a keeper at home. She can't forsake that duty. It is a God-given duty. It should be her primary duty, and she can't forsake it for for other options. I don't know what Pat believes on that, but, uh, again, I would think I'd point to Proverbs 31 and show some things that a woman did there outside of the home and was industrious and uh, engaged in some business activities. But the primary instruction for the women and the primary focus of the women is that they should be keepers at home and uh, and managing the home. Exactly right. He goes on, uh, number nine, uh, everlasting punishment or hell is a hated doctrine. Number 10, being modest in the clothes we wear is a hated doctrine. And I would definitely agree with him on that. I've seen people get just completely bent out of shape when uh, there's emphasis put on wearing modest clothes. You'd think that Christians wouldn't get upset about that. and Maybe the people of the world would. But you know what? I found just the opposite. People of the world. They understand what you mean when you talk about modest clothes, and they don't even try to argue the point. They admit why they're wearing what they wear. The people who get mad about teaching on modest clothing are typically Christians who are trying to justify themselves in what they're doing. You so, think people hated that program we did a couple weeks ago? Probably, that probably, probably some did. All right, Jim and Sue in Mount Pleasant apparently have uh, gone into collaboration here to give us their top ten list. And they must have been working together because they have more than 10. Yeah, I think they've got, if I'm counting right, they've got 17. they got they, a top they, 17. They've been working together. <laughs> but uh, they're good. Baptism is necessary for remission of sins. We've already covered that one. Salvations of works, not faith only. Works is described by God. That's exactly right. Uh, the, the verse that's just very clear on that, uh, James 2, uh, verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. All right. Another one they say is unpopular is that there are three personalities in the Godhead. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting study. We believe there are three distinct beings in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, we don't have time. That's a deep study in itself, but probably a really good place uh, to see all three in close proximity and manifestation, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was in the water being baptized with John. God was in heaven saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. All three manifestations of, of the Godhead right there. There are three distinct beings in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right. The Lord's Supper every first day of the week is a controversial one. Not many religious organizations believe that the Lord's Supper should be taken every first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7 says that the uh, disciples met on the first day of the week to break bread. They came together to observe the Lord's Supper 
And it's interesting there that no specific Sunday, no specific first day of the week is is given. In other words, they didn't say it was the first Sunday of the quarter, the first Sunday after the new moon following the spring solstice or any other kind of specific thing. The fact that no specificity is there indicates that that was a common practice of the first century Christians to meet on the first day of the week to observe the Lord's Supper. That's why we do it every first day of the week. The wording is similar to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. No specific Sabbath day is mentioned. The children of Israel understood it was every Sabbath day, and we do the same with the Lord's Supper. Jim goes on to mention no 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. You know, almost all Christian denominations these days are premillennial. They believe that Jesus is coming back and going to establish an earthly kingdom and reign on David's throne in Jerusalem for a 1,000 years. Boy, we don't have time to get deep into that. We have done that before. Probably need to study premillennialism again, But you Jim. don't have time. We don't have time. But but when we say we don't believe that, we don't believe in the 1,000-year in the reign of Christ on earth, People are going to hate us when we say that, but it's 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 a Bible truth. Number six, one, only one true church. We've talked about that. Number seven, salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. Number eight, women in subjection to men. No women preachers, elders, deacons, etc. We've talked about that. Number nine, virgin birth. Uh, the virgin birth of Jesus clearly taught in the New Testament. We've just been studying that here, Jacob, in, uh, in our adult class at College View. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that it would be so, and it was to be a sign, and that sign came true. Mary gave birth to Jesus. It was uh, a virgin birth, a true miracle. All right. Um, hell is real. We've talked about that. They have some additional ones at uh, no extra charge tonight. Musical instruments are not uh, authorized in the New Testament. We've talked about that. The resurrection was real and not imaginary. You know, Jesus made, went to, to great effort to show that he was bodily resurrected, that, that he had a body of flesh and bones. Um, trying to trying to see here which one of the gospel accounts would best show that. Um, in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, uh, it says he showed them. He says. Be, uh, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise? This is Luke twenty four thirty eight. Behold my hands and my feet, that is, I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat. Jesus was demonstrating clearly that he was bod- resurrected in bodily form. All right. Uh, Jews are no longer God's chosen people, they say, is another hated doctrine. And uh, certainly is in the religious world. People today who believe that Jesus is the only way still believe that the Jews are God's chosen people and that God and, is. And a lot of those t- try to tie that together with that theory of premillennialism that, that the Jews are going to have some favored status in the future kingdom of Christ on earth. But Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. All right. Uh, they go on some that we've talked about already. Miracles no longer exist. We've talked about that. Church autonomy, Dad, we see no cooperation between churches. We see no earthly organization of uh, churches on... Uh, There's no organization of the church is greater than the local congregational level. First uh, Peter chapter 5, Paul or Peter said to the elders, feed the flock of God which is among you. In other words, elders' oversight is limited to their immediate flock. They don't have any oversight or authority beyond that. All right. Do they say no church, clergy system? And we don't read that in the New Testament. We don't see a church, clergy laity distinction in the New Testament. Exactly right. I mean, we could probably go in some depth to that, but there's that's a practice in the religious world very commonly, but it's not taught in the Bible. And finally, Christ is our only mediator, not men. 
again, uh, that's the only mediator we read about in the New Testament is Christ. Yeah, let me get a verse here for us real quick to go with that. In um... When you get done with that, we're going to the break. Okay. Um... Well, if I can find it, First Timothy. Is it first, I'm looking for First Timothy two five. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for listening, and we appreciate uh, Britt's commercial there. Britt reminds us again that if we're not following the commands of God, our heart is not right, we're not pleasing to God, we've got to follow His instructions. We appreciate you listening to the program tonight. We're talking about the top ten most hated doctrines that are true in the Bible, and Brad in Athens, Alabama, has sent us his list of nine with commentary. Brad wins the prize tonight for the thorough answer. Uh, I'll read his commentary quickly so we can make uh, ground here because he has good thoughts. Number one, in no particular order, he says, is baptism. That is, baptism as an essential step in salvation and the point of remission of sins. A lot of people practice baptism just not for the remission of sins, and they don't teach it as, as essential for salvation, Acts 2.38.22.16. Number two, one scriptural ground for divorce. Lots of folks think divorce is not preferable, but nevertheless acceptable. Some people, such as Dr. Laura Schlesinger, are stricter approving of divorce only in the case of the one of the one of the threes, abuse, addiction, or adultery. Sorry, as sad, indeed heartbreaking as all those situations are, Jesus only approves of one, adultery, Matthew 19, verse 9. Number three, church discipline. Too many people think it is too harsh for a church to ostracize one of its members for disorderly conduct. They can't see how it could possibly be an act of love. He references 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 4, 5, and 11. And number four, homosexuality. While most people do not see the attraction themselves, more and more of them refuse to accept that homosexuality is sinful behavior condemned. Quite clearly, I might add, by God. Romans chapter 1, 26, 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Number five, hell. Some people just can't see how a loving God can condemn a soul to endless torment. If they believe in hell, they see it as figurative. Others just discount the idea of hell altogether. Oh, sure, heaven is real and literal, although even the idea of heaven is distorted, I think, by in many people's minds. But hell, no. The problem is the same. Is that the same Lord talked about both heaven and hell in the same terms. If one is literal, they both are. If one is figurative, they both are. You can't have it both ways. He references Mark 9. 42 through 44 in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. Number six, alcohol. It's just an adult beverage to most people, something to take the edge off. 
Not intoxicating from the very first drink. Chris Bates nailed it, he says. You can't argue in the same breath. You can't, you can't argue in the same breath, both that it doesn't affect you and that it helps you to relax. Peter commands us twice to be sober. First Peter chapter five, uh, 1, 13, 5, 8, and 4, 3. Uh, and number seven, the role of women. A mother who lets others rear up her children while she pursues a career is not progressive and liberated. She is regressive and rebellious. Likewise, the woman who pastors or preaches before a church is not doing the will of God, but falling into a deception of the devil. Titus 2, 4, and 5, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 13. I might add that men need to step up to the roles of breadwinner and spiritual leader so that the women will feel less vulnerable depending on us for those things. Number eight, modesty and nakedness. He says you guys just did a program on this, so I won't go on and on about this one. Number nine on his list of most hated doctrines, no musical instruments in worship. Paul's instruction, that is, the commandment of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2, was to sing, not to play. Maybe there's nothing wrong with an accompanying timbrel or flute, but the silence of them in the New Testament is deafening. And you should consider how Nadab and Abihu would likely answer you if you could ask them whether they would recommend going beyond what God has prescribed. He references Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Very thorough list there from Brad. Thank you, Brad, for that. Thanks, lesson. Brad. He, but he ran out at nine. He didn't give us ten. Well, I imagine his fingers were tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got tired of typing. Uh, real quickly, uh, and what we're going to see here is we get to these some more of these. We're going to see a lot of repetition, so we'll go real quick. Anthony in Columbia has this top ten. One, existence of hell, eternal punishment. Two, homosexuality is wrong. Three, husband, the head of the wife. Four, divorce for fornication only. Five, biblical church discipline. Number six, only one true church. We're not really all okay. Uh, number seven, baptism essential for salvation. Number eight, sola scriptura, which means the Bible only. Uh, uh, so we have to have the word. We have to follow the word. Number nine, repentance essential for salvation, not just come as you are. And he has nine. He says, that's all I've got. Well, they're good ones. I appreciate Anthony for nine his top ten. Nine works tonight. Uh, Dean. In Leesville, Louisiana, says number 10, God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, God hates divorce. Number 9, honor father and mother, Colossians 3.20. Rebellious children wouldn't like that one. That would be a hated doctrine. Mothers and fathers would like it, but children wouldn't. Fornication in all its forms must be repented of, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, There is only one truth religiously, again, unpopular. Number 6, God requires obedience. We've talked about that. Number five, if it is not in the Bible, then it is a perversion of God's word. Not very popular. Number four, mankind is responsible for his or her actions. There will be no one else to blame if we are found wanting on the day of judgment. Wow, that's unpopular in our society today. Everybody's got to have someone yeah, to blame I'm, or I'm, some condition to I'm blame. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. It's not my fault. Or have a genetic predisposition yeah. to a temper. Good point. All right. Uh, number three, all worship is not pleasing to God. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. And number two, immorality is not to be seen as entertainment. And that's a very unpopular. In other words, you teach about exercising caution with TV, movies, and the Internet. People don't want to hear that. We get entertainment out of murder and adultery and homosexuality. It's a funny thing we like to watch on television. Number one, God will punish the wicked in eternal hell. And uh, that may be one of the more unpopular doctrines. That we I think that, that's been on almost every list. I think it surely is a hated doctrine. Uh, so thanks, Dean, for your input. We've got a list from 
Patrick. Now, Patrick is a regular listener to the program. He's also a Roman Catholic. We appreciate him listening. And his top ten list, he says, includes some Catholic doctrines. Now, uh, obviously, we're not going to agree with some of these because they relate Catholic doctrine. So we'll comment as we go. He says, first of all, people don't like to hear about, they hate teaching about the divinity of Christ. Uh, we, you know, we believe that Jesus is uh Divine, and he also mentions related doctrines such as the Trinity. We believe in three persons in the Godhead. We don't use the word Trinity. Not, I mean, it's not a Bible word, but I think I understand what he means when he uses the word, and I agree with him. There are three persons in the Godhead. We mentioned that. Number two, the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And I'm assuming here, and Patrick might have to correct me on that, Jacob, but I'm assuming he's relating the notion that the Catholics have a, that's called the doctrine of transubstantiation, that in observing the Lord's Supper, the the bread and the fruit of the vine become the literal, literal body and blood of Jesus instead of a representation of that. Uh, I don't I don't agree with I don't agree with that doctrine. Uh, so here's I, here's one way that we. So there's lots of arguments against it, but Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, beginning, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. They would say now that's, the after he blesses it, it becomes his actual blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It hadn't really become the blood. It was representative of the blood. So much so that Jesus said in verse 29 that it was still the fruit of the vine. He wouldn't drink of the fruit of the vine until that day. Yeah, I think so. Interesting interesting study. We may study that some more in another time. Uh, number three, he says, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the only way to salvation. We agreed there. One might add under that that there's only one true church and that doctrine does matter. We agree with him saying that. Now, the question is, what is that true doctrine and what is that true church? We would we would need to talk about that, but I agree with his point. Only men can be ordained to the priesthood, number four. Well, we've already said only men can be preachers, no women preachers. I don't believe in a priesthood like the Catholic Church teaches. We could talk about priesthood. All are priests. First Peter chapter two verse nine. Your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And so that's all Christians are a holy people, a peculiar people, a holy generation. And Revelation chapter five verse ten. Revelation five verse ten has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, all Christians. We're almost out of time. Real quickly, sexual activity belongs only within marriage and only between one man and one woman. I agree wholeheartedly divorce and remarriage is sinful i wouldn't agree totally there is one exception that allows for divorce and scriptural remarriage which we already mentioned uh, being fornication matthew 19 9 abortion is murder i'm surprised nobody else brought up abortion i really appreciate patrick mentioning that one boy when you teach that abortion is murder people hate to hear that but it is absolutely the truth the sin of usury he said don't get me started on credit card companies and these check cashing places that prey on the poor the the Amen, idea Patrick the the oppression of the poor with exorbitant interest he says they wouldn't want to hear that the doctrine of a bodily resurrection we already talked about that and the final judgment thank you Patrick for your list appreciate you listening and we tonight. got an email from Eric here and um, we don't have time for it but I tell you what let's do let's let's close out the program and we come back we'll talk about it for a few minutes what well I, no what I want to do is save this for I think we're going to go to this next week make this our topic next week to deal with some of the things that Eric's mentioned in his email he 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 says Eric is who we quoted earlier from an email has said he's written his top 10 things that the church of christ hates that are that are taught in the bible i don't agree with what he's got here but i think it would serve as a a worthy study and so i want to reserve this for our discussion next week 
And maybe, hopefully, we can get Eric to join us on the program next week. We'll see if we can. I hope Eric's not as angry as this looks. Looks like Eric may be angry with us. Eric, listen to us next week. Let's talk about it. We don't want to. We don't want to be on angry terms with you, Eric. We just want to talk about uh, uh, our understanding so that we can make sure that we're in a right relationship with God. Thank you all for your comments. Well, real quick, tonight. real quick, we got Don. We got to get Don. You mentioned Don earlier, and his he doesn't have top ten. He says, I know these are hated: predestination, total depravity, limited atonement, irresistible grace, unconditional election, perseverance of saints. He mentions the the tenets of Calvinism there. Those are fault. What the Calvinists teach concerning each of those is false. We've talked about that on the virtual Bible study before. Now, those are those are actually false. What the Calvinists teach about those things are false doctrines. They should be opposed. Now, the Bible mentions predestination. We can talk about what the Bible's the truth of the Bible on predestination. We don't hate that, but I do oppose what the Calvinists teach about the tenets of Calvinism, as he mentioned in his lesson in his email. And so, yeah, I would oppose those things. Thank you for your email tonight, Don. Thank you for listening to the program. We've got some, uh, we've got a lots of Eric's adding to his list. Uh, so Eric, if you think some more of some more between now and next Thursday, go ahead and send them to us and uh, hopefully you'll be listening next week. We'll, we'll talk about some of these. I don't know. I don't hate some of the things he's got in his list there. Um, and so we look forward to talking about that next week. Any well, other comments, Dave? Boy, we have had to rush through our program tonight. Lots of emails, lots of input. We appreciate everybody who participated tonight. All right. And if you want to join in with Eric next week and talk about some things you believe the Church of Christ hates, send those emails to no, questions notice, at college. Notice again, here, we're, we're, we're announcing our theme not just a day early, but a whole week early. And, and, uh, what's claimed is that there are things the Bible teaches that the Church of Christ hates. And so that's going to be... The, it can't be the top 10, because I think Eric's got 17 there. So the top yeah. 17 things you think that the Church of Christ hates, we'll talk about that next week. It should be interesting. Try to join hey, Maybe station. there are some things here maybe that we need to think about. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about we'll them all at, next week. We'll look at them, we'll consider them, and if we're wrong, we'll hopefully be willing to repent. That's not a popular doctrine. A lot of people have talked about that tonight, but we've got to repent if we're wrong. And so if we're wrong, we'll study that and hopefully... We'll be willing to repent. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you for your time, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. In the meantime, between now and next week, we hope that you will be studying your Bible, that you'll put God first in your life, you'll live by his word every day, and if you do, you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.